Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Global Football Show. I'm your host as always, Fab Brian Trump, with my regular co-host, Daxton Zach. Hello, Zach, how you doing, my friend? Doing very well, Phil. Got a lot of stuff to uh, discuss today, so we sure very do. excited for this week's Global Football Show. The one thing we won't be talking about is the FA Cup final. So <clears throat> uh, <laughs> uh, we'll leave it. Who, who won that? I didn't, I didn't catch well, that. Well, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't even like football. Um... We'll talk a lot about, of course, so much has been happening in the world of football. But Kareem Benzema's moved to Saudi Arabia, which is eye-watering numbers. Ibrahimovic finally announces his retirement at 41 years of age, which is truly remarkable. And Lionel Messi possibly going back to Barcelona. I want to get your opinion on that. We'll take a quick look ahead to the Champions League final. We'll take a talk, uh, chat about some of the signings that could happen this summer. And, of course, Ange Postasoglu's moved to Spurs and what Spurs fans should expect from him. Uh... We'll start, mate, with um, the news that Lionel Messi, as we've known, is going to leave Barcelona, or is going to leave PSG. His father, uh, Jorge Messi, has come out and said that he would like him to go back to Barcelona. Um, this has very, um, it has a lot of similarities to me to the Ronaldo back to Manchester United, where it's an emotional move, not a logical one. There's an old saying in football, never go back. Um, I understand Messi's heart is in Barcelona. Um, it take an enormous amount of money to bring him back. Um, but does it make sense? It's a great question. Um, look, on the one hand, I think that, you know, as a lover of the beautiful game, I would rather see Lionel Messi uh, return to Barcelona and close out his career than and close out his career at Inter Miami or somewhere in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Um, and I do understand that, yeah, let's let's face it, Barcelona have uh, won the title, I don't want to say by playing ugly football, but, but they've certainly pulled off a lot of one nothing wins. And it was clear that they won it because of their uh, historically great defense. And in spite of, an attack that, that, yeah, has struggled in terms of creativity. Um, and I, I think that Barcelona fans, what they might say is, well, look, um, he's obviously an upgrade on the likes of Rafinha, Usmane, Fati, Ferran, uh, and he would join for free. I would understand that. But um, I, I also think that you have to consider the wages. You know, Messi is not going to play for free. Even if he does accept a, a severe wage de uh, reduction, I do think that, in a way, uh, if I if I were Barcelona, I'd be looking at other options. I get mm -hmm. the sentimentality of it all. Um, you know, I get that he's the greatest player of all time, but I just think that you know the bandaid has already been taken off. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go back and try to fit something in. I do. I would take, uh, I, I do think that it is slightly different, though, when you compare Messi and Ronaldo. I mean, there's just a two-year difference between when Messi left and when he's potentially returning. Ronaldo, there was, what, a 10-year difference, uh, probably more than that. So I think that, um, you know, Messi, he would certainly provide quality in attack. And I think that from an emotional standpoint, yeah, it, it would be great to see with that being said, though, uh, Barcelona have a lot of uh, ongoing financial issues right now they have to deal with. And um, in my opinion, they, they have more pressing needs than bringing back Messi, and, yeah. you know, which, which would obviously implicate giving him one of the highest salaries uh, in, in the wage bill. So I can definitely see both sides of it, but I just think that you, know, you look at Barcelona's current squad – um, there are a lot more uh, urgent priorities, whether that's finding an actual right back, uh, finding a replacement for Sergio Busquets, um, you know, finding uh, finding a natural winger. I think all of these would, would be bigger priorities. And I, I also think that, you know, Xavi's success at Barcelona uh, was, was due in large part to their their defensive setup, you know, going with this, uh, shall we say, an asymmetrical midfield where where, where you have field playing on the wing, and I I think in, in part as well due to um, what we saw off the ball 
you know, in terms of their pressing, in terms of their uh, setup and, and their ability to to uh, protect defense. Obviously, Mark Andre Ter Stegen gets a lot of credit for that uh, because of his fantastic performances in goal. But um, I, I think that as well, we've seen a drop off from Barcelona <clears throat> in recent weeks, in, in recent months, um, when if, when you know they they were out of Europe. And, um, and and when they lost to Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey semifinals, and I think in large part of that was yes, they knew that they were going to win the title. They took the their, the pedal off the gas. Um, but I also think that uh, it's part in, in it's due in part to uh, a decrease in in energy in, in terms of pressing, in terms of uh, winning the ball back in dangerous areas. And I'm not sure if you can accommodate both Messi and Lewandowski in, in that system. You know, I think that, that that trying to accompany both of them would certainly come at a cost. And okay. we've seen that with, yeah. with Paris Saint-Germain, right? With with Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. You know, out of those three, Neymar probably does the most work off the ball. But, uh, you know, he certainly isn't a, a, a uh, grifter, shall we say, right? So Barcelona, they need to take these things into consideration, right? And I do think that as well. One of the biggest reasons why we saw Rafinha going from, uh, you know, kind of an underwhelming signing in, in the first few months, actually stepping up and, and having an important role in the second half was because of that really a renewed defensive commitment and work rate. So I have a lot of concerns over Messi's potential fit. I would like to, you know, I would see it happen in terms of sentimentality, but... I'm not so sure it would be the right decision for Barcelona. Yeah. In terms of uh, off the pitch, when you look at financial, uh, when you look at it in terms of the finances as well as on the pitch. Uh, I'll tell you where I see a similarity, Zach. Now, obviously, like you quite rightly said, there's two years between Messi leaving and coming back and Ronaldo, there was a decade. But where I see the similarities is, one, we don't know the impact bringing Messi, Messi back will have on the Barcelona dressing room. Will it destabilise the dressing room? Right, because all of a sudden there's another player coming back in who's now the focal point of everything that the football club does. That had a destabilizing effect on Manchester dressing room, no question. The season before they finished second, and um, this was a vanity signing. Emotionally, I understood it. I was on board. Um, secondly, one of the things that really held Manchester United back was living in the past. And not moving on from a previous era and not trying to get the next Ronaldo. Right, not trying to get the next generation that was constantly trying to recreate Sir Alex Ferguson's past, constantly trying to recreate a past where they were successful, and constantly looking back. Barcelona have to move on from Lionel Messi. They have to develop a new identity and not try to go backwards because, like you quite rightly said, they pulled off the, the band aid. Um, and I do know, think it's in part short term versus versus long term planning, right? I think that Messi yeah. would be an upgrade in their options right now. Where Usman, I think there's another so, factor in this act that's yeah. similar. When yeah. Ronaldo came back, Ronaldo was playing with a team for a teammate in Solskjaer. If Messi comes back, he'd be playing for a teammate in Xavi. And Sometimes that can be hard. If you were in a dressing room where the dynamic was you were a more dominant personality or whatever than the person you are now working for, it's difficult for someone to then adjust their personality and adjust um, their attitude and start taking orders from someone that they would never have done during their playing career. Now, Xavi was a great player, legend, no question. But sometimes that dynamic can be hard. And I'm just not sure if Barcelona should be trying to recreate a pass. Surely they should be trying to move on from that pass. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that once the band-aid is off, uh, you just got to keep it off. You, you don't want to put it back yeah. on, right? And, uh, and, and yeah, as you completely mentioned, I mean, the fact is, as, as, as nice it was, as it would be in terms of an emotional standpoint to see him come back, I, I just think that Barcelona, they would be much wiser going for um, a younger option, you know, mm. who may not necessarily be on a free transfer, but is going to be on probably significantly lower wages. And uh, somebody who can kind of, who, who you wouldn't have to necessarily build the team around, who's somebody who you could 
you know, plug into that hole. Because I think it, it is clear that, um, you know, as much as right back and defensive midfielder to have to be two big priorities for Barcelona this this uh, summer, I think that, um, yeah, they, they need a lot of work in attack because there's just been not enough creativity, not, not enough, um, uh, you know, players who are going to be able to to, to open up these deep blocks with their through balls and their passes. So that's something where Messi could uh, fit in, of course. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I just think that, you know, the sequel is never as good mm. as the original, even if that's the greatest footballer of all time. And I just think that Barcelona, they are going to, they, they could very well come to regret it if they do bring back Messi. I agree. All right, let's move on. Let me talk to you about um, another uh, Spanish, I suppose French legend that played in Spain, which is Karim Benzema. A bit of back and forth over the last few days about will he or won't he. First of all, I think it broke on Friday that he was leaving. The next day, it came out and said no, he was staying, and now he's leaving again. Um, the numbers are eye-watering: six hundred three million. I read for three seasons. Um, you know, I think you know he's been a brilliant striker. I was asked a question by a friend of mine out here who's not a massive football fan. He's just really starting to get into it. And we were talking about the, the uh, Kareem Benzema. And he asked me an interesting question. He said to me, um, in his prime, was he as good as Holland? Where would you rate him? My answer was, not as good a goal scorer, but probably a better all-round player. Um, so I think, where would you rate Kareem Benzema? in the pantheons of greats. Um, is he in that class? And um, do you blame him for leaving? First of all, I, I don't blame Benzema for leaving. I think that, um, you know, I, I was talking actually to my friend Miguel Quintana, who in, who asked Benzema that question at the Marcus ceremony, are, you know, are you going to talk about your future? And he said, like, uh, I, why would I talk about my future if I'm in Madrid? You know, internet is not the reality. And he, mm. and he was convinced that Benzema was going to stay, as was I. But uh, I, I think that while I was uh, thinking that there might be a chance that he'd stay for one more year and then, and then join Saudi Arabia, you know, footballers do have finite careers. And, you know, three years, $643 million, uh, you know, to, to end on that, um, end your career at, what, 38 years old with that money. I mean, that is, that's generational wealth. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd say And we're talking about a player who came through, who, who developed in the slums of Lyon, mm -hmm. uh, you know, came through yeah. his boyhood club, I get it. won titles with them, got a move to Real Madrid, and, yeah, it was, you know, has been through a lot, has had a lot of controversies, has probably... Uh, underwhelmed at the international level, despite the fact that he's the fifth uh, all-time top scorer for France, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I think that, yeah, Benzema, from his point of view, it's it's very hard to turn down that kind of money, especially when you've got, you know, a family to support and and friends who obviously he's, he's very he's still very close to in, in the Lyon area, um, and I think that. Of course, he's, he's earned that right, just like Ronaldo earned that right to go to Saudi Arabia. Is it a downgrade in, in you know, going from Spain to Saudi Arabia? Undoubtedly. But uh, I, I do think that from Benzema's perspective, he's, he's really, he's, he's, he doesn't have anything left to prove, right? And I think that he definitely has to be considered amongst the all-time greats. I think that he's... Yeah, he may not be as much of a pure goal scorer as Erling Haaland, but I think that uh, he's a better all-around footballer. Mm. And I think that <clears throat> you know, the, the array of qualities in his locker is just outstanding. I mean, he's, you know, the ideal target man, brilliant header of the ball, so good at just holding the ball up under pressure, making it stick and filtering it through. I think that, you know, the... Um, the, the pass to Isco in that Champions League semifinal against Atletico, I still maintain that's that's probably the greatest assist I've ever seen. I mean, that is just You're absolutely a young man. fantastic. You're and a that's, young man. I've <laughs> seen some of those. 
<laughs> okay, well, look, I don't care if you've seen, like, players in their, in the 60s when, when people were showing up drunk and... You in know, the 60s? Like, then were you alive in the 60s? How dare you? <laughs> all right, all right, 80s. Okay, but you can't deny So imagine doing that drunk? Benzema, Benzema did that sober, imagine doing that drunk. Yeah, but you're doing it against defenders who are drunk, so I don't know. Yeah, so we're also, it's all equal. Listen, 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 let's not, let's not <laughs> piss around, okay? Benzema is one of the greatest center forwards of all time, okay? And this is somebody who I think always had to play a supplementary, supplementary role, um, but in many ways to, you know, how... Mohamed Salah, as good as he is and as good as he's been for Liverpool, he, his success does not happen uh, in large part without Roberto Firmino kind of working, uh, you know, behind the shadows and and doing that work in the false nine role. I think that in many ways Ronaldo and Bale's success does not happen without Benzema playing that that central mm-hmm. fulcrum uh, role. And he was just he was just everything that Real Madrid needed. Uh, during their, you know, during that spell where they really ripped the, uh, yeah, where, where they, shall we say, they they snatched Barcelona's chain and and were able to become the kings of Spain and the kings of Europe, winning on multiple occasions. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, there were a lot of times where you debate, oh, is Benzema the best center forward in the world? Is it Suarez? Is it Aguero? Is it Lewa? Is it Cavani? Is it Zlatan? But... I, I, and it's a fair question, but I think that <laughs> plug in someone like Suarez or Aguero into that Real Madrid team, I don't think you get the same results because Benzema, he was just perfectly suited for Real Madrid in terms of that, uh, you know, in terms of that uh, center forward role, in terms of playing as that target man, holding up the ball. And, and working in perfect tandem. And also, you know, somebody who has an incredible array of finishes. Um, and so, I, and I also think that one thing that's interesting is you could really argue that Benzema's prime came when he was in his mid-30s. You know, he completely stepped up following Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, departure, following uh, Gareth Bale basically becoming a a full-time golfer in his final few years at Real Madrid. And he was not only a key part of that system, he was the system both under Zidane and Ancelotti. Um, and I think that's what I'll remember most from him. You know, this this is somebody who stepped up and, I mean, and I think just delivered time and time again in the big games. Uh, last season... What we saw from Benzema in the Champions League, I mean, I think that is right up there in the pantheon with one of the greatest individual campaigns in Champions League history. I mean, there were some times where he was really putting the team on his back. And, you know, with, with all the great work that the likes of Courtois, Vinicius, and Modric did, he was very much leading the line and, and just uh, just really putting the team on his back. So... Yeah, I, I think that Benzema he 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 leaves uh, on a high note. You know, I think that obviously would have been great to win another league title and, and the Champions League. But uh, despite the fact that he's he's had a decline in production, he still scored what I believe thirty goals in all competitions. You know, by far um, Real Madrid's top scorer, the second top scorer in La Liga to Lewandowski, um, and you know became you know scored a hat trick. Uh, against Barcelona and El Clasico, he did. got to captain the, the club that he always dreamed of captaining this season. And yeah, I think that um, I'm not sure if I'd say the time is right because I do think that Real Madrid are going to have to work very hard to find somebody who is on you know Benzema's level. But um, with that being said, you know you can't deny that that, that paycheck is. No, I, I mean, generational wealth right there. It's another conversation about whether him and Ronaldo deserve yeah. criticism for taking money from the Saudi PIF fund. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, that's that's another that's another podcast in itself. So uh, we don't have time to get into that today, but we've done that before. So um, I well, also I think that Benzema. I mean, w- what we saw at the World Cup, I, I think that definitely played a big role in his decision. I do think there was something behind the scenes between him and Didier Deschamps. Um, and um, I, I think that 
obviously he was uh, he wasn't uh, pleased with his treatment, and yeah, he didn't even show up to the World Cup final, um, and uh, obviously retired from international duty afterwards. So I think that in his mind, he's thinking, I'm never I'm never going to play for France again. So you know, why do I need to care about what club I'm playing at? And also, I mean, any club that you go after Real Madrid is going to be a downgrade. So uh, I can't blame him for you know, you know, deciding not to go to somewhere somewhere else in Europe. I mean, I think he would have maybe considered Lyon, but uh, no need for that when Lacazette is in sensational form. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, going to Saudi Arabia it does make sense for him at this point in his career. He's going to. Get a very uh, hefty paycheck, and he's yeah. I, I think that he's done everything he needs to do at Real Madrid. Right. Let me ask you about Ibrahimovic. Forty-one years of age. He was still playing professional football. I let my kids play with a toaster in the bath at forty-one. If it mattered, didn't have to get up. Um, but unbelievable what he has done. Uh, I remember asking Mourinho a question in the press conference when United were here in two thousand and sixteen. And Ibra had just done his knee at the time. And I had asked Mourinho about whether United were going to extend his contract and keep him on for a second year because he'd had a year contract with an option of another year. And to be honest, I was thinking at that time, this is pretty much the end, right? I mean, he's 34. He's just had a major cruciate knee injury. It's going to keep him out for seven months. Never did I think seven years later we'd still be talking about Ibrahimovic played at a very high level, playing for a football club that came within a whisker of getting the Champions League final. Um, a remarkable professional. I spoke to his agent a few times, Rafael Pimenta, and um, she holds him in the very highest professional regard. He is a consummate professional, works exceptionally hard, holds those around him to very high standards, and has been on a one-man wrecking machine tour of Europe, where everywhere he went, he was successful. He backed it up. Um, and um, he was brilliant at United when he came. I didn't think that there was another seven, eight years in him, to be honest. Um, but he's been brilliant everywhere. And uh, I'll tell you something, Zach. It takes an awful lot to come out here at 38, 37, 38, then go back and play at the very highest level in Europe. The type of hunger that you need, um, that arrogance, self-confidence that he had, um, just a truly remarkable athlete. 100%. I mean, one of the greatest players of the 21st century. And uh, he's somebody who just exudes character and confidence. You know, strikers back themselves. That's the, that's how the saying goes. But Zlatan backs himself to the maximum. This is somebody who, mm. yeah, who really came up from uh, a, a poor area in Sweden, you know, and came through the ranks at Malmo, then uh, he was impressing at Ajax, made the move to you know, Juventus, Inter, and Milan, and wherever he went, he scored goals, and he just, I think, showed a ability that is so unique, and that is, I, I don't think there's a single Zlatan in today's game. I don't think there's ever going to be another Zlatan, because the way he moved with the ball for a man of his size and, and strength just absolutely outstanding. Uh, so many incredible goals, uh, such as the, that phenomenal goal uh, against England back in 2012. Uh, so many incredible goals. And, and you know, somebody who uh, went to Paris Saint-Germain and helped them establish an identity. I mean, he was the player that the, the system was built around. Uh, just an incredibly gifted uh, footballer who... Yeah, who is somebody who, who transmits that confidence and poise to to younger players in the locker room. Uh, just a legendary career. And yeah, I completely agree. I mean, when he... I mean, he, he did have a successful time at United. That's undeniable. But when he suffered that knee injury, I, I thought that it was it for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and what did he do? He went to MLS. He scored a ton of goals, as usual, for the Galaxy. Went to Milan and was just essential in transforming the club's ethos and, and getting them uh, over the line and, and getting them back to the Champions League, getting them to 
to win their first Scudetto in a decade. Um, and yeah, obviously has has not been able to play that much this season, but um, he ends his career at a club where he is loved and uh, a club where he's, he will always be appreciated. So yeah, I think that he's just uh, he's just a phenomenal phenomenal footballer who is I think uh, you know he's he has an otherworldly talent, but with that being said, he's also the personification that you know uh, talent you know when as the saying goes, uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, and he had it both. You know he had the ability to just. Uh, blitz just just uh, accelerate past four or five different players uh, without losing the ball. Uh, but he was also somebody who continued to strive for excellence, continued to hi- uh, hold himself to the highest standard possible, and that's why we saw that longevity. You know, he's somebody who never uh, took took the easy way out, never took any shortcuts. It's a shame that he's not going to end his uh, career with the Champions League, but. You look at the amount of yeah, trophies he's won in across uh, Europe. It's just, it's just incredible. So uh, I think that Zlatan, he's he's just a larger than life figure, and he's somebody who I, I think nobody is ever going to forget what he did on the pitch. Yeah, truly, I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely fantastic player. Okay, Ange Postecoglou is going to going to Spurs after doing another travel with Celtic. Um, been a resounding success at Celtic. He's bought well. Uh, the fans love him. Very popular. He plays uh, very attractive football. Um, I can understand why he wants to leave Celtic. I mean, you know, we they they have complete domination, and he's got nothing left to prove. There, I understand that. Tottenham is a risky job, and if it goes wrong for Ange Postecoglou at Chelsea, um, he or it's at, at Tottenham. Sorry, he's going to have to rebuild his reputation a bit uh, at a at a lesser club. Um, we know about the structural problems behind the scenes at Tottenham. We know how difficult it is to be successful there. It's a big football club, of course. They're not in Europe next next season. He has a huge job on his hands, just like most other managers have had over the last couple of years in trying to convince Harry Kane to stay. Um, one, I think Harry Kane is in Matt Letizia territory where he really has to decide if he wants to stay at Spurs the rest of his career. That's fine. You can be admired for your loyalty. Or if you want to win things, you have to leave. You have to decide. I mean, if he looks at Kieran Trippier, he looks at, um, you know, Kyle Walker, how, how is he not... Eric Lamella. Yeah, like, how, how, yeah, good point, Lamella. So, when you, <clears throat> uh, how would you not be envious? I mean, surely you want to win things. But also I commend the fact that maybe he wants to remain loyal to the club, to his boyhood club, okay. So he's a big decision to make on his hands. But I would say that for Spurs, Postsogli fits the... Uh, profile of the type of manager that should be hiring. You know, he's a developmental manager. He's fine with working with young players. That's what he had to do at Celtic. Um, and if they're patient with him, they have an opportunity to maybe make something work with him. Um, I don't think he'll get in the top four next season because I think Tottenham are a bit off that. Um, but um, what do you think of that appointment? I think it's a really good appointment, honestly. I mean, look... This Tottenham job is not that attractive, right? There's a reason why the likes of Arnslot and Julian Nagelsmann, you know, wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, above all, what they need to do is they need to sort out Harry Kane's future, okay? Are they going to sell him to Real Madrid? Are they going to keep him for another year? You know, this cannot be hanging over their transfer activity. And above all, hanging over Postecoglou when he's, uh, when he's when he's taking all of these press conferences, you know he can't be responsible with answering to this. They need to sort it out, and they need to convey it to the coach, the fans, uh, you know, every everybody around Tottenham Hotspur. Because right now it's just a cloud that is that is really affecting it, affecting the club. Um, so yeah, I, I think that obviously Tottenham. Let's face it, they're at rock bottom at the moment, right? Missing out on European football for the first time in 13 years. Played some absolutely diabolical football, barely able to keep a clean sheet. Um, so, you know, we're going to see, I think, a few players leave. I think Hugo Lloris has stated that he wants to leave. Yeah. Uh, Harry Kane may end up joining him. 
But uh, it's clear that Tottenham need a rebuild. So whatever happens next season, it needs to be a wash, okay? Anything Ooh, above 10th is, is fine, okay, for Tottenham. I you mean, think so? Look, this is a club that just finished, what, 8th? I mean, they were fourth when they sacked Conte. Okay, but what does that mean? Like, I mean, the fact is... I mean, Conte like, was... Conte's winning it this last season. Zach was to make sure Spurs finished in the top four. That's That was how they bought. Okay. With, I'm not saying... Uh, that's what he was supposed yeah. to do this season. He didn't think yeah. that could happen, which is why he left. It would be uh, a surprise yeah, to me. And, and I don't think that he will finish top four. I agree with you, but I'm not sure... That a top ten finish would be a success for Spurs. I actually think, no, in some I'm ways, not, being out of the Europa. I'm just saying it shouldn't be. I'm just saying, like, if they were to finish like ninth, I don't think it would necessarily be grounds for sacking. I actually, think, yeah, league, I agree with that. Yeah. But I actually the think just keeps on getting more and more competitive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look, I can see what you mean. I mean, Tottenham historically are a big six club, but I'll be honest with you, Phil. I think that like. You know, Brentford or Brighton or Fulham are closer to winning a title than, are closer to winning a trophy uh, than Tottenham are. Honestly, I mean, the Tottenham side it needs a lot of work, a lot of work in pretty much every single area besides center forward, and that's if Harry Kane stays. I actually think um, not qualifying for Europa League will help them. I agree, or Europa Conference League, mm-hmm. where I think it actually helps them. Yeah, I know. I completely agree because, like, whereas a club like Villa, they needed qualification to the mm-hmm. Europa Conference to, to take that next step. Tottenham, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, they can't turn their nose up at Europa Conference League considering the fact that they haven't won a trophy since two thousand eight. But with that being said, now they they are only going to play once a week, and uh, that's going to allow them to focus a lot more on on league on the league play, and we've seen that. That uh, plays such a positive impact for so many clubs. You know, t- uh, Sporting, when they won their first league title in 19 years, they they were not playing in, in Europe uh, no. uh, for the majority of the season, whereas Benfica Port- and Porto were. Um, and we saw that with Chelsea, of course, in their first season under Antonio Conte. But I just think that look, Tottenham, they're a great example of that saying that... Um, a leopard can't change its spots, right? Or, or a zebra can't change its stripes. You know, Tottenham have tried to be somebody that they're not of over course. the past years. Hiring Mourinho, hiring Conte, even hiring Nuno to a degree. You know, this is not a club that is that is built to be, uh, shall we say, in, in win-first mode, right? They are, I think that they tried to hire these managers with, with a fantastic uh, track record of, of winning trophies, but above all, they just didn't have that structure to to be compatible. So I think that right now, what Postecoglou is is a, a return to the identity of Tottenham of the past, right? And I think that that identity is above all. Look, there needs to be an identity on the football pitch because there just hasn't been that that clear cut structure that. It, it's pretty much just been relying on Kane uh, and, and hoping that he has enough to to make up for your leaky defense. Um, and I just think that uh, I think that Postecoglou will do a good job with that. You know, we've seen that with 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 pretty much everywhere he's been. Right, everywhere he's been, he, he's won. Right, he won uh, the league. I think their first league title in nine years at Yokohama Marinos. Uh, he was able to, I believe, deliver two titles at Brisbane Roar and, uh, you know, put together a scintillating brand of football that was called Roar Salona. Um, you know, he was able to win the AFC Cup with Australia. And, you know, yes, he had a, a shaky start at, at Celtic, but uh, eventually he, he was able to, to win uh, the league title in his first season and deliver the treble there. So obviously, there's going to be skepticism from Tottenham fans. You know, this uh, this guy, he hasn't coached in Europe apart from a two-year spell where he was coaching in a two-team league. Uh, so now he's going to now he's going to one-team league. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that's that's a fair point. But <laughs> um, I just think that you know, I I I think that 
this, the same things that I'm seeing from Tottenham fans uh, about Postacoglu, some Tottenham fans, not all of them. Uh, it's honestly, it's giving me a sense of deja vu because I remember back in 2021 when Ahn's replaced uh, Neil Lennon and Celtic fans were saying, who the hell is this guy? He's never coached in Europe. Like, we're just getting this unknown guy because, uh, you know, so I think that there are a lot of positives from Ange, and I think that you can't just dismiss him based on the fact that, you know, he's, what, 57 and has never really managed in a top league before. fact is, it takes a lot of effort for somebody in Australia to make their way up to a club like Tottenham Hotspur, okay? And in the footballing world, that is so heavily predicated on nepotism. Many times it's about, you know, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know or who you played for. Um, so I just think that Postacoglu deserves a chance. He deserves a clean slate. And he, he deserves time and patience. Uh, because, frankly, right now Tottenham are at rock bottom. They need plenty of recruitment. And uh, they, they need somebody who's going to get the fans on their side again. I think that Ange could be that man. I think that what we've seen at Celtic, he's a very good communicator. You know, he, he's very good as well at uh, picking out uh, picking out great under the radar players, and yeah. I, I I just think that uh, that's what Tottenham needs. You know, I think Tottenham they're the kind of club that's going to you know go to the championship. How many times have we seen Tottenham go to the championship and pick out a, a promising uh, under twenty three player and develop them uh, into a top class professional? We've seen you know so many of these players such as. Uh, Kyle Walker and uh, yeah. Garen Trippier, Harry Kane, Human Stone, uh, developing to, to a fantastic degree. And I just think that they've almost become, tried to become, uh, shall we say, they, they've, uh, after they were part of that, those, those 12 uh, clubs to join the Super League, they've tr- almost started to act like a Super League club. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we saw that last summer to a degree. Um, getting in these these big name players who were who weren't necessarily the best fit. Um, so yeah, I just think that right now Tottenham they need a rebuild. They need a lot of work in in several areas, but uh, I think that Ange can can uh, do a great job with that because he's not somebody who's who's going to be uh, who's who's going to be demanding the most uh, the, the the most famous footballers, right? I remember, um, I remember when in his first few months at Celtic, when journalists were asking him, you know, you've brought in, you know, Hatate, Maeda, all these Japanese players. Are you just going to be bringing in Japanese players? And you know, he basically responded, like, if if I uh, if I said to a Saint Mirren coach, you know, you're only bringing in Scottish players, like, how offensive would that be? Fact mm-hmm. is. He is somebody who, who has an eye for talent, yeah. uh, and we've seen so many, uh, yeah, so many promising young players really just develop under his under his tutelage, which I think is, is definitely a testament to his ability as a tel- as a talent developer as well as a, a talent spotter. So yeah, it's clear that Tottenham they need a they need a refresh, they need a rebuild, and I just think that. Um, the expectations cannot be too high. I mean, this is not a team that is immediately built to get back into the top four. Uh, and, yeah, that, that should not be what he's judged on. I think he should be judged on what we see from Tottenham on, on the pitch and, uh, you know, how how these young players are going to be developing. Players who have perhaps taken a step back in their development. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what he can do with with the likes of uh, Ryan Sessegnon, Yves uh, Bissouma, Richarlison, a lot of players who haven't necessarily yeah. uh, been been able to showcase their talents under the likes of uh, Mourinho and, and uh, Conte. So I, th- I think that this is a very shrewd appointment for Tottenham, and uh, I really I just hope I just hope he has a lot of success there because Tottenham are a big club, and uh, this this past season has been quite frankly, embarrassing. I mean, we would be talking a lot more about it if, if Chelsea weren't, uh, if Chelsea didn't just have the worst season from any top six team in Premier League history. 
But uh, yeah, this has been a shambolic campaign for them. They're at rock bottom right now. They need somebody who's going to lead that rebuild. And I think that Postacoglu is that man. Okay. Before you go, let me ask you one quick question. Uh, see if you can answer it in a minute or two. Because um, we're, we're short on time. Give me top three signings that you think will happen this summer. Oof. That's a tough question. So, I mean, I guess... What about, well, Mar- yeah, my, 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 but the three that haven't happened. So, maybe Randall Colomiani, do you think he could go? Do you think Awesome Man could go? Okay, okay. Um, so, what I got? So, okay. So, I think Ugarte to Paris Saint-Germain is close to being a done deal. I yep. guess I'm going to put him there. I think that that's a great move for them. They need a ball winner. Uh, they, they, they've been lacking that... Uh, that bite in midfield since Matuidi and Mota have left. So I think that could be a very shrewd pickup for them. Um, as far as other signings, I, I'm very intrigued to see what Real Madrid do with the center forward position, you know, wh- whether that's Harry Kane or someone else. I have a feeling they're going to make a move for Kane, though. I know that, you know, Bellingham is, is pretty much a done deal, but uh, I think that... Vague horse is available. <laughs> I mean, I I don't think that uh, Weghorst is going to be lucky if he has, even has a uh, even has a kit number at Burnley next season because I think the way he's going wouldn't be surprised if he yeah, was. Well, his attitude is, uh, I like his attitude. He wasn't good enough. I agree, but yes. Yeah. Sorry. So let me go go through number one. Who would you say would be a yes. big move this summer? Number one, I'm going to say Ugarte to Paris Saint Germain. Okay. Number you, two, yeah. yeah what? I was, to, I was going to say, so in order of how good you think they're going to be, you think Agarte is going to be yeah. a really good center for PSG? I do. I think that he fits uh, a lot of their needs. Let's see, number two... Would, would, would Colomiani be a good good option for Real Madrid? That's not a bad shout, to be honest. I, I, Colomiani is definitely going to... I think he's definitely going to leave Eintracht. You know, they, a lot of top lost, people that work in football really yeah. read him. I rate him. I've rated him since he was at Nantes. Uh, this is somebody who, yeah, was was very good in an Eintracht side that was fairly inconsistent. Uh, you know, alongside Jamal Musiala, one of two players in the Bundesliga to record double figures in goals and assists. Yes, he's not necessarily a natural target man, but he's you know very good at at dribbling and uh, and and you know drifting to to uh, areas to pick up the ball. So he's a very crafty uh, finisher and a very good center forward. I'm not sure if Real Madrid would be the best fit for him, but I think that, you know, I, I could certainly see Paris Saint-Germain making a move for him because he is from the Paris area. And I think that um, I think that it's clear that PSG wants a natural center forward with, with Messi leaving, with Neymar probably, you know, uh, leaving. Uh, I know that they were trying to get Neymar out off their uh, wage bill, but uh, I could see Colomani going to PSG. We've seen how he links up very well with Mbappe. And I, I think that would be a really shrewd pickup. But I'm not sure if he goes to PSG, but I do think that he leaves Eintracht. Eintracht are going to be playing Europa Conference League next season. Uh, they've already lost their manager, Oliver Glasner. They've lost Daichi Kamada on a free transfer. So I think they'll probably lose Colomani as well. And uh, for my final one... Oof, this is a tricky one. Um, for my final Bellingham. one, I'm going... I mean, I, I like the fit for Real Madrid with regards to Bellingham, but I think that center forward has to be a bigger priority right now. I mean, if they're going to play... If they're going to pay $100 million for Bellingham, I think they got to pay at least, like... You know, I, I would not be opposed to paying $90 million for Harry Kane if I'm if I'm Real Madrid, to be honest with you. And I think that, uh, that, that would be a great fit for them, potentially... I'll go with I'll go with one that's that's more of a um, an under the radar shout though. I think that uh, I think that Jonathan David's gonna leave Lille this this uh, summer. You know, coming off a 24 goal season for them, and uh, Lille going to be playing in the Europa Conference League next summer. Um, and I think that Lille are, are a club that typically sells one at least one big player each summer, and I think that David would probably be that player. Um, I'm gonna say they bring in Gift Orban from from Ghent. Actually, my, my kid club. is gonna love you for this. It never <laughs> shuts up about him. Gift Orban. Yes, or I swear to God, like Gift Orban, he really? never shuts. He, he's like, you know, he I didn't know who it was until he until he mentioned <laughs> to me. 
Hey, and he just never we need to, uh, we need to uh, replace you with your kid for that. Yeah, no, so, man, I swear to God, he goes up with these. He, he said to me, he goes, uh, you need to go after Gift Orban. I'm like, who? He goes, Gift Orban. And he must have said about 16 times. I'm like, who's that? I'll tell, I'll tell he goes, you. He's, he's unbelievable. A, he's a better player than Anthony Martial and Woot Weckrist. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But yeah, he's somebody who, I mean, he's had an incredible story. He's playing in Nigeria just a few years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, goes to Scandinavia, makes a. Uh, Aim for himself there and, and leaves you know leaves Norway and goes to Belgium in uh, in January yeah and, and has done very well just scoring um, scoring at an absurd rate him and his strike partner Hugo Koiper has been very good um, for for the club so yeah I think that he's he's going to get a move from Belgium and I, I can see you know Lille they love uh, their Belgian players they they found Victor Osimhen from Belgium they replaced him with another player from Belgium in, in Jonathan David. So I can see them going back to Belgium and, uh, yeah, and getting uh, Gift Orban. I think that he's he's a fantastic player. I, I've watched a good deal of him. Uh, he's he's somebody who has fantastic hold-up play and really good passing, uh, and has just he just can't stop scoring at the moment. Uh, I think that I, I'm very confident in saying that he's going to be the next great. Nigerian striker after the likes of Osimhen, Tere Mofi, uh, Kelechi Iheanacho. I think that he has what it takes to go to the very top. And there are few stepping stone clubs that are better than Lille when it comes to finding these raw talents, developing them, and shipping them off to a Paris Saint-Germain, a Manchester United, or Real Madrid. So yeah, I'm going to say Gift Emmanuel Orban uh, replaces, uh, replaces Jonathan David this summer. And uh, is going to end up as one of the top scorers in the gun next next season. My kid is going to love you for this thing. I'll tell him. I'm, <laughs> on way, I'm on my way to pick, I'm on my way to pick him up. I, I can't wait to tell him. Zachy, all the best, mate. Don't forget, follow this guy at Breaking the Lines. Um, at Zach Louie, fantastic uh, podcast, fantastic content owner. Um, take it easy, mate, and we'll be back next week. See ya.